Please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 as we continue our study in the book of Galatians, not Judges 9. Galatians chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 13 through 18 today as we continue our study. Before we do that, let's go again to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help with it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, as we open it up, we recognize ourselves as but broken vessels that you are filling with your word. So Lord, we pray that you would change us. You have changed us, that you would continue to change us, that you would make us to be more like you that we would receive your word, that we would hear it, that it would make us glad to know the things about you and to know how we ought to be as your people. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Since I read through this passage, it makes me think of these times in history where there's individuals who have, are instrumental in the liberation of a people, you know, like some sort of liberator of a particular uh, country, and then that person then later becomes a tyrant over those same people. It happens all throughout history. In fact, it's such a common story that a lot of fictional worlds borrow from that as well. You see that in Star Wars. You see that in Hunger Games. You see that in lots of places. And it's even in the Bible. You see it in the book of Judges. As we've been going through Judges in Sunday school, as Gideon leads a people out of oppression from the Midianites, and then he leads them back into idolatry again. Or Saul becoming king over a people and then becoming a madman over those same people. Why is this so common? Well, because in each situation, people are involved and people are sinful by nature. We cannot change ourselves. What about for the Christian? Well, we've been liberated from sin, so we should live as if that's true, right? We should always live as if we have been liberated from sin. Well, we should, but the struggle is also in our lives to do that same thing, to live as if we have been liberated. In fact, not only do we struggle in a vacuum, we struggle when we don't have other people around us, but we also struggle in our relationships with others, even to the point of kind of becoming a tyrant in our own realms. Rather than serving, we devour those around us, using them only to better our situation rather than bettering theirs. In our text today, Paul deals with this very issue as this was happening in the Galatian churches at the time and it's happening even in all churches. How do I know it's happening in all churches? I haven't been in all of them. Again, people are in all churches. If you're looking for a church where people don't sin, I have some bad news to tell you. You're never going to be happy. This is not one of those places either. But knowing that we do that, knowing that we aren't perfect, we preach then the only remedy for that sin problem. Jesus. That's it. 
And so as we get into the text today, we'll see not only how we are free from sin, but how we are also free to do those things that Christ has called us to do. So we're going to break the text up into three main ideas. First, freedom from sin. Second, freedom to serve. And then finally, freedom to follow the law. So with that, let's look together at the text. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 13. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Galatians 5, 13 through 18. For you were called to freedom, brothers... Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Amen. This is God's Word. You may be seated. So remember last week, we looked at the idea of running well, and how the Galatian Christians were running well until someone cut in on their race, right? That idea of cutting in on someone, causing them to stumble. That someone for the Galatian churches was the Judaizers who were preaching the doctrine of salvation by Jesus plus works, plus circumcision. Paul suggested in our text last week that they should just go ahead and emasculate themselves. If you look at verse 12, that's exactly what that says. If circumcision was so good for salvation, they should just go ahead and do the whole thing which represented a definite crescendo of his criticism on their position. So today he settles back into instruction for the believers there with what it means to walk in the Spirit and how that helps the believers in their lives. Next week we'll have a list for us. We all like lists of do's and do nots. We'll see that. But this week is kind of more of an overall principle of that idea. So we'll we'll start first with the freedom from sin. Look with me again at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We'll focus we'll focus on this first part of the verse now. We'll look at the second part in a moment that we are called to freedom, but do not use our freedom as an opportunity of the flesh. What does that mean? It's basically saying that even though we are free in Christ, we should not say that we are free to sin. Now understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that when we sin, that those sins are counted against us. I'm not saying that. They aren't because Jesus nailed our sins, past, present, and future, to the cross. So in that way, yes, we are free to sin and that our sins aren't counted against us. However, that freedom doesn't give us or that that freedom doesn't give us the freedom then to go on sinning, right? Romans 6:1, Paul says, "What shall we say concerning the grace of God? What shall we say? Should we go on sinning that we can have more grace? By no means." Is what he says. Of course we shouldn't. 
that is bondage in and of itself. That is a bondage that we've talked about before. We are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. We have been raised to walk in newness of life. We get that from Romans 6 as well. So when Paul uses this term flesh here, he is speaking of the part of us that remains. Even after we've been changed in Christ, there's this part of us that remains that is still at war with the Spirit. Though we have been reborn, we haven't been completely sanctified. So we have this war going on within. Paul goes into great detail on this in Romans chapter 6 and 7. I highly recommend that for your personal study on this matter. Um, Whether or not we study that, I hope you all understand it. Though we have been saved, we are still tempted to sin, right? We have this part of us that has been changed, but we are still tempted, and we still fall to that temptation. In that way, the the term flesh, typically, when you see it in the New Testament, from the New Testament writers, has to do with human frailty, that part of us that still remains, that is still being made to be more like Jesus. Remember, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed and arrested, a few of his disciples went with him to watch over him as he prayed. And what did those disciples end up doing as Jesus walked away to pray? Well, they fell asleep. And some friends, they were. And he came back to them, seeing their frailty, understanding it. He said, he looked at them and he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We all understand this spirit from our Lord. This is the daily plight of our lives, is it not? To that end, we have this command with a promise in verse 16. So look with me at 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's a command, walk by the Spirit, with a promise, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We're going to talk more about this as we go along. But we know as believers that we have the Spirit of God living inside each one of us. The Spirit is not only God's sign that He is with us, God's continued sign that He is with us, but also His guarantee to us that He will keep His promises, His His seal that those promises are indeed true. And one such promise is our complete sanctification in Him, that He is going to make us complete in glory. You know, Philippians 1.6, we can be confident that he who began a good work in us will see it through to completion. Paul says that there in his letter to the Philippians. We know that in Christ, one day we'll be completely made holy. But right now, we are being made holy, right? We're on that journey somewhere along the way. And we show this by walking in the Spirit, which is something that we do. And it's something that is happening to us as well. We walk in the Spirit through our spiritual disciplines, the study of God's Word, prayer, service to God, attending worship with the saints of God. Yet we also walk by the Spirit in that He is always with us. The Spirit of God is always with us. The Spirit doesn't wait to see if we're going to act right today in order to come and be with us. He is always there. And he changes us even in spite of ourselves. 
So as a believer grows, what you'd expect to see in their lives is change. Absolutely. They will begin to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit, which is what we're going to talk about for the most part next week. However, Paul sums them up here rather succinctly, and it has to do with our service to others. That brings me to the second point, freedom to serve. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In our freedom from sin, we are given a freedom to serve others in love. Attached to this idea is the great commandment that we see that originates from Leviticus 19, that we should love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus was asked to sum up the law in two great commandments, and he said the second is this, that we should love our neighbor as ourself. The first was that we should love God with all our soul, might, and strength. And so we have these two great commandments, and you may wonder why Paul didn't mention the first here. Why didn't Paul first mention that we should love God? Well, it's likely because we show our love for God by loving others, which is exactly the point that he is making here. We've been made free in Christ, so we should use that freedom as an opportunity to serve. By not serving others in love, we are showing that we really don't love God. There's quite a bit of talk in Christian circles now about this verse and our understanding of that we should love our neighbor as ourself, and they really focus on that second part, and they talk about things like self-love and self-care, which isn't always bad. It isn't always bad. We definitely should care for ourselves and that our bodies are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit lives in each of us. We should take care of our bodies and our minds. That is a good thing. It's a good thing. Yet, many go way too far with that, especially concerning this commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. And they'll say something like, well, in order to love our neighbor, we have to love ourselves first. Or, I started loving my neighbor when I learned to love myself. You don't need to just, you just need to watch like a little two-year-old to understand that we're not, we don't have to be taught to love ourselves. It sounds cute to say it like that, but it's just another form of self-worship. Even someone who claims not to love themselves, right? Well, I don't love myself at all. I hate myself. I loathe myself. They seem to talk about themselves an awful lot. There's a whole bunch of time wrapped up in self-loathing, talking about themselves rather than others. You've heard me say this before, the best cure for people who struggle with that kind of sadness and depression is to stop thinking about themselves so much. And again, I realize that mental illness is a real thing. I'm not saying that it's not. It can be a very spiritual, a very physical thing even, and it can go deep. But in the end, the heart issue that we have as people, not just Christians, but all people have this, have to do with the fact that we don't love others as much as we should. Someone who claims to be a Christian should be engaged in loving others actively. Not in order to maintain their status as a Christian. Understand that. 
If we've learned anything from the book of Galatians, it's that our good works don't save us. So we're not doing that in order to maintain our Christian status. It's always at a hundred, only ever. But we love others because of that status that we have. Paul understands our tendency to look within, however, and he addresses that in verse 15. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The language here, this bite and devour, really paints a picture of wild animals. And wild animals have no inhibition. If you've ever watched an animal, really domesticated animals don't have a whole lot of inhibition, but wild animals in particular don't. All right. When, a, when an animal eats another animal, for instance, it's not thinking about that other animal. When a fox eats a rabbit, for instance, I'll just use that one, it isn't considering the rabbit's physical and emotional well-being, the family of the rabbit, its other relationships that may be coming into play here as it consumes that rabbit. It is consuming the rabbit solely for self-gratification in order to eat and stay alive. Because it's a wild animal. It's not wrong for foxes to do that at all. It's the natural order of things. But it isn't supposed to be that way for people. Why are we different? Well, we're created in the image of God. We aren't mere creatures. We aren't the same as foxes and rabbits. We are the image bearers of a holy God. Don't wonder then why the world... The non-believing world uses so much energy to tell us that we are merely animals. Because it's the sin of nature that we revert to this animalistic kind of behavior to destroy others in order to satisfy self. Reminding us that we are animals allows them to justify all forms of hedonism, pursuit of wealth and power, over the pursuit of caring for one another. All of these things at their core are self-love and are also a complete revocation of what it means to be human. And when this happens inside the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't have to tell you, it's horrible. It's like a bunch of animals biting and devouring one another. And it always ends up with no real winner There's no winner in those situations at all. And it's usually over something dumb. Nay, it's always over something dumb. Service times, paint colors, all kinds of stupid stuff that we could come up with that you've all heard and seen in your lifetimes. Imagine if you just took 10% of that energy that was spent arguing about the height of a filing cabinet and used it in service to other people. It'd be incredible. It's not as if we don't have a wonderful model of service to look at and to see. In our Lord Jesus, what do we learn about him in Philippians 2? That he emptied himself. Understand, Jesus was the second person of the Trinity, the one that was there when when the words were spoken, let there be light. He was there in agreement, speaking those words, bringing light into existence, The Son of God emptied Himself 
humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, a slave, being born in the likeness of men. In doing so, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death. Death on that humiliating cross. If anyone at all ever could have taken a stand on the silly things that Christians devour each other on, it would be Jesus. Yet his focus was always, only ever, on serving others. He washed the feet of his betrayer. And we'll barely even think about others most of the time, much less serve them in any way. Especially when it comes to the church, brothers and sisters, we have to take care of each other. We'll see this more as we go through the end of chapter 5, as we move into chapter 6. We must serve one another. Yes, it's good to serve the world, absolutely. To just show them the love of God in Christ, to show the world that love. But how much more should we then love one another? Those of us who are called the covenant people of God. We are united to Christ, therefore we are united to one another. It should be our great joy and privilege to serve one another. And on the opposite end of that, it should be a great sadness to see the opposite happening. Christians, when we see anything less than us loving one another, it should alarm us. It should set off alarms in our minds. The freedom that we have in Christ should make us see any kind of bondage to one another as completely foreign and strange particularly our attempts to put bondage on others. Not only are we agents of Christ's freedom to a lost world, but we should be that first and foremost, brothers and sisters in Christ, to each other. Don't be the one who is holding another believer in bondage for any reason. Rather, love them as you love yourself. This is our great freedom in Christ. And lastly... The freedom to follow the law. Look with me at verses 16 and 8 through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We talked about this idea of walking in the Spirit, how the Christian does this kind of by default, right? Because we have the Spirit that is living in us, yet we should also be actively pursuing it as a part of our walk with Christ. This is further strengthened by 17, telling us that the flesh and the Spirit are in direct opposition to one another. We have this kind of opposition even living in us. It seems pretty simple. Right? What we should do. The Spirit should win, right? Every time. Should. But that's not, and it does happen that way. Eventually, yes, but not all at once. In fact, it's the flesh's constant war against the Spirit that keeps us, as, as Paul puts it here in 17, from doing the things that you want to do. Why does he put it that way? Well, the Christian should want to get rid of sin 
in their lives. They should want nothing more than to see sin completely smothered for all time, never to come up again. Yet, this battle with the flesh consumes us. Many give up by saying, well, they, they look at verse 18, for instance, and they say, well, you're not led by, if you're not led by the Spirit, then you are, or if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, and they'll say, well, I'm not under the law, right? I'm not under the law, so sinning is just okay for me. I don't need to act right because I'm not under the law anymore. I'm under grace. They'll quote that. They love that. Correct. Your acting right will not earn you anything before God. Jesus earned our merit. We had his righteousness. He acted right for us, right? But it doesn't sound like a whole lot like freedom if we just give up on our fight against sin. It sounds more like bondage to the things that fight against our new nature to just give up and say, I'm done with the fight. In Christ, we are free to follow the law. Free because it no longer lords over us. In fact, we are over it. Charles Spurgeon, you've probably heard of Charles Spurgeon, English Reformed Baptist preacher. He said it perfectly in one of his sermons. He said, what is God's law now? Concerning our relationship to God's law, what is God's law now? It is not above a Christian. It is under a Christian. Some men hold, hold God's law like a rod in terror over Christians and say, if you sin, you will be punished with it. It is not so. The law is under a Christian. It is for him to walk on, to be his guide, his rule, his pattern. We are not under the law, but under grace. The law is the road which guides us, not the rod which drives us, nor the spirit which actuates us. The law is good and excellent if it keeps its place. What a wonderful insight here that the law is is not over us anymore, but it is under us as a guide. No longer that mean pedagogue that we learned about in 3, but it is our beautiful guide for a life and freedom to fulfill it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, have you ever felt in bondage to the law? Have you ever felt in bondage to another person who maybe represents that law to you? Right, A certain thing that you have to do in order to be seen as right or good. Have you ever been a source of that to another person? Maybe you've one time been a source of freedom to a person, but yet now you are their tyrant over them. Well, for each of those, what is the Christian to do? Repent and believe in Jesus. He's delivered us once and for all in his death. He took our sins, brothers and sisters in Christ, each of them, past, present, and future. He nailed them to the cross. It's final. They're gone. You are free. And you're free to serve each other. You're free to go and sin no more. You are free to live a life walking by the Spirit of God. So now go and live in that freedom. If you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, understand the difference. For the Christian, the law is no longer over them, but for the unbeliever, the law is still very much over you. And your inability to keep it perfectly will one day be your downfall. 
Trust me, there's no amount of goodness that you think you might have that measures up to God's standard for goodness. Though you may be a better person than me, I'm not the standard for goodness, trust me. You may be a better person than everyone here. That's not the point. The standard for goodness is God. And you're not meeting that standard, I promise. To him, in fact, scriptures tell us that your good works are like filthy rags. Rather than rely on your good works to save you, call out to Jesus. Repent of your wickedness. Believe in him. Call upon his name and be saved. Trust in his righteousness alone. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in conclusion, we are free from sin. So let us go on in service to one another. Let us follow the law. Let us do what we are told, which will seem strange to a world which is so self-consumed. Let us be ready then with the truth of Jesus who has changed us and who has set us free. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we read here from your word, from the truth, we learn that we are free, but not just free to do anything, but we are free to serve one another. We are free to be obedient to you. Lord, help us. Help us to do that. Help us to really live in that freedom rather than seeking bondage yet again. Rather than even causing bondage to another believer. Help us to live free and then also to help others to live free. And we pray that we would do so in the name of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.